All right, all you future podcasters out there, let me tell you about something you need to be aware of. I've been looking for different platforms to put my podcast into, and it's kind of confusing. There's a lot out there, a lot of them that charge you, but I found something that you need to hear. There's a platform called Anchor. Now, you need to understand, this one is free. There's no monthly fees, no yearly fees, no fees of any sort, no sign-up fees. It is free. Now, the best thing about it is that it's free and it comes with so many different tools. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now, then one of the other neatest things is that Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. All you do is upload your podcast. Anchor handles all the rest. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. First podcast you put up, you can start making money. Now, it's everything you need to have in one place to make a podcast. So, pay attention to this part. It's very important. Go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M or download the free Anchor app to get started. Continuing our series today through the book of John, we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 34, but we're going to concentrate our lessons in verse 29 through 34. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to uh, grab them. Uh, if you got a hard copy Bible or one on your phone, or whatever uh, method you choose to read, I encourage you also to use a King James Version Bible. Um, as we continue our study, we'll discuss why that is, and probably at some point do some studies on the different Bible versions and why uh, we particularly believe that the King James Version is the authorized version and uh, the one that uh, God would have us use. So if you have your Bibles ready, go to John chapter 1. Again, we'll start our reading in verse 15. And the Bible says, John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now verse 19. And this, well, this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
And they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. He said they unto him, Who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us, What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to loosen. These things were done in Beth, in Beth Abarah, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he, of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, last time we spoke, we went over verses 19 through 28, specifically this kind of inquiry that the Pharisees came to John the Baptist saying, Who are you? Who are you? And why are you out here um, baptizing? You don't have the authorization to do that. Only the Son of God can do that. Only God can forgive people other their sins. And you're out here baptizing people. Who gives you that authorization? John had that discussion with them. And remember, we talked about that being a formal inquiry. Create, John was creating quite a bit of stir. And there had to be an answer. Uh, the Pharisees sought an answer as to why that is. So now in verse 29, you see it begins the next day. Yeah, uh, John has kind of given us, the Apostle John has given us a chronological story as we continue through this chapter, through this book. And when the Bible says the next day, I believe it was the next day. We believe it was the next day. This record occurred the next day after the questioning of John the Baptist by the priests, Levites, and Pharisees. John's witness to the Jewish leaders on day one has evolved to him now witnessing to all Israel on day two. In verse 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, why does John use that phrase, the Lamb of God? 
let's talk about a couple of reasons and look into that a little bit closer. Symbolically, this was a picture of the Passover. Historically, this Passover refers to a specific event in time which occurred in Egypt. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Exodus chapter 12. And I'm going to turn in mine as I ask you to turn in yours. Exodus chapter 12, be this uh, Genesis, uh, then Exodus, then chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 and see historically, again, why John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Again, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him his house take it according to the number of the souls every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and they shall take of the blood and strike it on two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with the bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden nor at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all of the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memory. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever so you see in this exodus uh, chapter 12 account that this is part of the plagues that god is is kind of giving on to israel for not or excuse me giving on to egypt for not releasing israel it, uh, at this point israel is the slaves in egypt and moses is going and saying to pharaoh you need to release israel you, we want they need to be able to go back to their holy land so that they can worship their god Pharaoh rejects this. And time after time, God steps in, uh, instituting plagues upon Egypt. Up until this final plague, 
where this death angel was going to come and, and kill all the firstborn of Egypt. Now, God instructs the Egypt, Egypt, or excuse me, instructs the Israelites through Moses and says, well, here's what you got to do to protect yourselves. And I command you to do this. Take an unblemished lamb. Notice an unblemished lamb. This is an excellent picture of the sinless Christ, of sinless Jesus. Sacrifice this lamb. Take of the blood and paint it on the side post. Paint it on the upper post. Picturing a cross of protection upon the household. But you need to concentrate, and I don't want you to miss this major point. It was the blood of the lamb that saved those people. The lamb was sacrificed. That is, its blood was shed as a substitute for the people. Just as Jesus Christ was sacrificed on that cross, unblemished, sinless. It's not the fact that he was sacrificed. It's the fact that his blood ran down and it's the blood sacrifice that forgives us of our sins that we're able to take upon us that covers us and makes us sinless from that point. If we believe and apply his blood to our hearts and our homes, he saves us. Again, in your Bibles, flip over to 1 Peter. This is going to be in the New Testament. 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 18. Again, 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see the reference again to the Lamb of God. John the Baptist refers to Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This, this picture of a lamb, this unblemished lamb, would have been very identifiable to the Israelites as they heard John the Baptist. They were very clear about their traditions and the Old Testament teachings from uh, Genesis and Exodus as far as their history. The Lamb of God, God is not of men, but of God. The Lamb is not of men, but of God. The idea is that this lamb belonged to God. That is, God gave, supplied, and provided the lamb for a sacrifice. Okay, we can see that. God provided the animal. Yeah, we, we understand that. God created that animal. But to understand that a little bit more clearly, please turn to Genesis chapter 22. I know we're flipping around a lot during this episode, but it's important for you to get the context of of this lesson there's so many wonderful pictures that the that god through his scripture paints for us that it's important for us to take the time to look at this genesis chapter 22 and we're going to start reading in verse 1 
And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and say unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, I'm here. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but there, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself of a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Verse 9. And they came upon to the place which God hath told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So you see where God provides the sacrifice. All we have to do is believe. Abraham believed so much that God was going to save his son Isaac. Even if he followed through with God's command to sacrifice his son, that his son would be resurrected, that something was, was going to occur that was going to guarantee Isaac's living through and getting through that moment. Abraham believed it so much. If you notice in verse five, he says, abide you here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham knew what they were going to the mountain to do. He knew God told him to sacrifice his son, but he believed it so much. He said, we're going to come back. Now, up until this point in scripture, nobody had been resurrected. Nobody had come back from death. But Abraham believed God said that his son, Isaac, was going to be the father of a strong nation. Well, how can he be a father of a strong nation if he sacrificed at that moment and fails to live to see that fruition? Abraham believed both promises from God. He believed God said, sacrifice your son. Abraham said, okay. Went through up until the point of pulling down on that knife into his son. And God said, hold, hold on, Abraham. And he provided another sacrifice. 
This is such an important aspect of Israel's history that God wants it to be not forgotten. Again, in your Bible, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 16. I'm flipping over there as well. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. And in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God bought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flocks and the herds in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt not eat no unleavened bread with it seven days. Shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction? For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all the coasts seven days, neither shall there anything of the flesh, which thou sacrificest, the first day at even, remain all night until the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover with any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Verse 6, But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. Thou shalt roast and eat it in the place where the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt turn it in the morning and go unto thy tent. tents. Six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. God gives this observation to say, you know what? You need to remember this Passover. You need to remember that those moments and that moment in Egypt where I sent that plague that was going to kill all firstborn sons. But you're so special to me that I gave you a way to be saved through it. This, I gave you a way to sacrifice that lamb. To sacrifice that unblemished lamb. To take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts. So that the death angel would what? Pass over you and not afflict you. It's so important to me. You need to have this feast so that you never forget that moment. So when John the Baptist again is in the wilderness or in the in the uh, desert, and he sees Jesus walk on, he immediately, from the Spirit of God, says, "Here he is, the Lamb of God." Note again that verse 29 now says the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The phrase takes away here is kind of interesting. A little bit of a word study for you. This means to lift away, to carry off. It means to bear in behalf of one as one's substitute. To taketh away the sin of the world. To take it away from us. To bear it. To bear the burden of sin for us. Now, this may seem obvious, but hear me through on this point. To take something away from someone has to be a voluntary act. 
Because if it's not voluntary, then it's sin. To take something away from somebody that doesn't want to give it up, well, that's a crime. It's sin. The picture here is that God takes away the sin of the world through the individual, through a voluntary act of us first handing it over to him. We hand our sin over to him when we believe in him. When we believe that he's the son of God, we believe, we follow, we commit our lives to him and he, we give our sin to him. He carries the burden of that sin, even though he never sinned. He then takes it away. Now, this is a theological term here, and, we, and I've talked about it possibly in the past. If I haven't, then it's the, the, the theological term of justification. That is, at the moment of your salvation, that is the moment you are saved, you become justified. This justification is you become sinless. In the eyes of God, you become sinless. It, this is just if I'd never sinned. You become saved and you become just if I'd never sinned. And, but there's a bigger side to this. You become just as if and equal to Christ because he had never sinned. Now, Christ is God. We are not gods. So do not take that that far. But not only do you become justified, never sin, but you take upon that, that kind of spirit from Christ that he looks at you and he sees somebody who's never sinned. That this is just, you become just as righteous as Christ had been. This goes along with the term takes away the sin. You no longer possess it. There's no burden of it. Now, this is tough for us to understand in our world. You know, even if you are convicted of a crime and you've done your time, you still carry the burden of that crime. In our world, you can be found innocent, but still carry the burden of the accusation. God doesn't see us like that. When we follow him, when we give to him our sin through belief, he takes it from us. Don't let your sin be a burden upon you. God doesn't see it like that. Totally embrace this gift that God gives us. Going back to John chapter 1, we'll look at verse 30 through 31. The Bible says, This is he of whom I said, After, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come baptizing with water? As one author I found put it, the one before all. Christ is God and was present before everybody. We talked about this early on in chapter one when we were studying creation a little bit. Jesus was God and helped God create everything. He was here before all. John did not know who the Messiah would be. Only that the Messiah was to come. God had chosen John the Baptist to go out and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Repent. Make yourself ready. The Messiah is coming. This is all John knew. Now, interestingly enough here, John and Jesus were actually cousins. 
the probability that John the Baptist knew Jesus, I believe, is very high. Now, let your mind kind of wander when it comes to these biblical accounts. John the Baptist knew Jesus, but he didn't know he was the Messiah until that moment in time. He didn't know his cousin was the Messiah until during this baptism, God laid it upon his heart as Jesus is walking forth. Here comes the Lamb of God. Verses 32 through 33. We're back in John chapter 1. Verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, and came, said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. John the Apostle does not describe the baptism of Jesus. Only John the Baptist's record of it. So to understand and, and kind of see what, the, what occurred during the baptism of Jesus, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 3. First book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and of course we're studying John. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Bible says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John. John who? John the Baptist. To be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? Jesus answering, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see that spirit of the dove aboding upon him. The dove was a sacred bird to the Jews. We're going to see that later on as we continue our study. A symbol of peace, of gentleness, of purity, and innocence. The dove was identified with the spirit of God. So when the when they say the Holy Spirit ascended like a dove upon him. And then you see in John chapter 1 the, the phrase abode with him. The Spirit abode upon him. Meaning it remained there. It didn't depart. The Spirit did not merely descend toward Jesus but also remained with him. Here the Baptist is continuing, continuing what he was called to do. To see and to point and then herald that Christ is the Messiah. Verse 33, again, said, And I knew him not, but he that sent to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as which is baptized with the Holy Spirit. John repeated, he did not know who the Messiah would be. God's sign to John was the Holy Spirit coming upon the Messiah in the form of a dove. This reference, if you want to look it up, is in Isaiah chapter 42. John was called to baptize with water. Jesus baptizes believers with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, 
and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist tell us he saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, John's gospel points to us Christ's deity. I've heard many, many people teach this and preach this or, or postulate this. They'll say the Bible nowhere says that Jesus was God. Well, I'm reading in John chapter 1, verse 34, and I saw on bare record that this is the Son of God. Tells me right there, Jesus is God. Now, for those that continue to teach that nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus is God, plainly are not reading Scripture. It's there. It's black and white. And that's just one reference to it. So I did a little bit of research, and I found the, this to be true. The gospel writers say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God some 47 times. Not just the one time we read in John, no. Over the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is said 47 times. The gospel writers also say that Jesus Christ constantly claimed that God was his Father, that is, he was the Son of God 84 times. The book of Acts says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God four times. Paul said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God 31 times. Peter says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God one time. John, in his epistles in Revelation, says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God 14 times. Now, just adding that up, that's a total of 181 times that Jesus is referred to as God, the Son of God, or refers to his Father as God 181 times. Again, I adamantly refute anybody who wants to say that nowhere in Scripture does it say Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was God. You plainly are not reading Scripture or interpreting it because of a sinful nature of some other sort if you believe otherwise. Christ is the Son, not a Son of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this lesson, for these truths, for this account of your baptism by John the Baptist, for the picture of the Lamb of God from John the Baptist's reference to and what it tells us in relation to your sacrifice, your blood sacrifice that we will later learn and see in this study. To the picture of your baptism and the dove descending upon you and aboding upon you. And John saying that this is the Son of God. We understand you are the Son of God. We understand you are God, and we're so thankful. You chose to bankrupt heaven and come here to be here with us. We thank you so much. We'll pray that anybody listening to this may come to this understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.